At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350-plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeartRadio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play. This is the New York City Cast with Will Hill, presented by Bet Rivers. Welcome to the New York City Cast, presented by Bet River Sportsbook, a Thursday show for you. Mark Feinsand of MLB.com will join us. He's got a great new book out called The Franchise uh, about the Yankees. So looking forward to talk to him. Uh, read the book. The book is outstanding. So should be a fun conversation. We'll talk some Yankees past, present. We'll go down memory lane a little bit with Mark. But uh, baseball here is where we start tonight as the Yankees just continue to win. They are now a staggering. Think about this. It is June 15th. They are 30 games above 500. Uh, I mentioned Monday. I think this division race is over. I stand by that. They are 9 up on Toronto, 11 up on Tampa. And this thing is a wrap. They just throw a really good pitcher every day. You can say, what if this guy gets hurt? What if that guy gets hurt? You can throw in all these caveats. Sure, crazier things have happened. And we'll get to the Mets here in a second. Look what's happened with the Mets where their lead has gone from 10.5, it seems like, a couple minutes ago down to 4 where we are in for a hell of a pennant race all summer long with the Mets and the Braves. So these leads can shrink quickly. But the Yankees aren't missing, guys. The Mets, I mean, first of all, the Braves went on a 14-game winning streak. If Toronto goes on a 14-15 game winning streak, yeah, things could tighten up, absolutely. But the Yankees aren't missing, guys. And I'm not sure Toronto is going to go on a streak like the Braves did. And there's some bad teams in the National League that the Braves have beaten up on. And look, the Mets have gotten to play some of the same teams, but the Nationals, the Pirates, you know, the Cubs this weekend, there's some bad teams that the Braves are beating up on. Like I said, the Mets get them too, but I don't know that the the uh, the American League provides those weak spots where Toronto is going to get red hot and win 15 in a row, make this a race. They would have to do it head-to-head against the Yankees, and they'll get their opportunity a little bit this weekend as they play... Uh, three games against the Yankees in this stretch where the Yankees get Rays, 
Jays, Rays again, and then the Astros. So, look, so far we talked about this 13-game stretch with, with all those teams as being a little bit of a litmus test, a little bit uh, of a barometer, a little bit of a measuring stick here with the Yankees. They beat up on a soft schedule with a great record. Well, they played Tampa. They beat them twice. Tampa's clearly not as good as they were last year. They're just dropping balls left and right. And uh, a bad defensive team. That's a team. They're a gritty team. You know, they're, they're scrappy. They do more with less. Rely on defense and bullpen. They can't afford to be giving away outs on defense. And one of the bad beats of the season, I, I know because I gave it out here under four yesterday for the first five innings. Game is one nothing. bottom five. Both pitchers are unhittable. You know, either guy can win a Cy Young. Either guy can start the All-Star game. McClanahan, Cortez, both you know, viable candidates to start the All-Star game. one nothing. bottom fifth. Uh, inning starts, fly ball to center field. Phillips just drops it, just flat out drops the ball. Oh, never good if you have the under. All right, not a big deal. Two outs, man on third, Kiner Falefa up. You're one out away as Hicks strikes out. You're one out away from getting up and getting out of it with your under still intact. You got some some room to spare there. If Kiner Falefa hits a home run, hey, you're, you're still covering by uh, a run. And this actually closed three and a half. So plenty of people probably had the three and a half. So let's just call it three and a half, actually. One nothing, bottom five. Two out, man on third. Kiner Falefa up. Not a problem. Ball one, ball two. You know what? Let's walk Kiner Falefa intentionally. We'll pitch to Higashioka. Higashioka hasn't hit all year. Okay. Higashioka's probably not going to burn you. And I think he threw him a curveball in the dirt. Next pitch was a fastball, and Higashioka just hits it to the moon for a three-run homer to make it 4 nothing after five. And if you had the four, you pushed. If you had the three and a half, Sorry, better luck next time. That was a brutal, brutal beat. You never deserve to lose it. And that's why you can just never relax if you have an under. So uh, a tough beat for the Yankees. Uh, Braves first five under, but the Yankees just continue to do what they do. Uh, win ball games. Lewicki was a little shaky in the eighth. There was that weird scenario where nobody threw a pitch for 20-something minutes because Boone made a pitching change, and they weren't sure if he was allowed to make a pitching change. But uh, Holmes comes in and just continues to be one of the dominant relievers we've ever seen. I mean, there's a... This is going to sound sacrilegious. This is not a Mariano Rivera comp, uh, comparison, but there's a level of confidence when Holmes is in the game comparable to Mariano Rivera where you just feel like, you know, even man on first, nobody out. You're not even worried because it's just so hard to hit the ball out of the infield against the guy. And look, if you can't get the ball out of the infield, it's just hard to score a run. So it's hard to elevate the ball. You just either you miss it all together. He's so good in terms of the movement, the location. And it's just even if you hit it, you're going to hit it right into the ground. He's just been a dominant dominant pitcher you can make a case look I, I don't know i don't see him here at uh bet rivers here for uh for cy young odds you could make a case he should be in the conversation he's basically he just doesn't give up any runs any hits he's just uh completely dominant completely overpowering and really it's a guy they got for nothing last summer for uh for really a, a couple guys park and, and, and some no-name guys and sort of a nothing deal around the deadline and he has just been a complete revelation just completely dominant here for the Yankees so the Yankees continue to win and uh, the Mets lose 10 to 1 to the Brewers we'll get to both of their games today in a minute as both finish up homestands look it's a race now it's four and you could say DeGrom's coming back and Scherzer's coming back and it sounds like they are probably closer than you might think or closer than at least I thought when you look up uh, you just kind of assume, you know what, they'll come back at some point. You stop following exactly when, where, the re the, you know, the bullpens. Did DeGrom throw 20 pitches off the bullpen, 28 pitches off the bullpen? At some point with DeGrom, it's like, wake me up when he's – not only forget starting a major league game, at least a minor league, a rehab start, something. But it does sound like DeGrom 
if all goes well, he's close to throwing a simulated game and then some some actual game action in terms of some rehab starts. Scherzer sounds much closer. Scherzer sounds like he could be like 10 days away. He's throwing live BP today or a simulated game today. If that goes well, it sounds like he will make a rehab start next week and just make one rehab start and then be back with the Mets. Could be back by the end of June. So Scherzer close. DeGrom, we'll see. He's got another bullpen session. Seems like all he does is throw bullpens. But Scherzer close. Hopefully DeGrom not too far down the line. Look, if you get Scherzer back, that that certainly helps. But boy, that 10.5 game lead has quickly shrunk to four. Atlanta just doesn't lose. They continue to just bury the Nationals. Strider uh, struck out 11 for, for Atlanta. He's a hell of a pitcher. I saw he was 10-1 to 1 here at Bet Rivers to win the Rookie of the Year. Um, just a, a tremendous arm. He has every pitch. He's 99, 100. I mean, he's just incredible. The Braves are really good. The Braves are really good. The Mets are really good. We're in for a long summer. Hey, nothing wrong with the pennant race. Nothing wrong with the pennant race. This is going to be a long summer of intense baseball here between the Mets and the Braves. Like I said, the Yankees, you can forget that. They are going to run and hide and win this thing. I don't think it ever gets within five or six. I just think they're going to pull away. And look, the Yankees are going to win 105 games or so. I mean, look, they're going to win a lot of games. 45 and 15, it's it's hard to be caught when you're 45 and 15. Uh, it would take an epic, epic collapse, and the Yankees are just too good and too deep. But the Mets have their hands full, and there's nothing wrong with it. There's nothing wrong with a, a pennant race here. All summer, this is basically going to be the New York and Atlanta City cast. I mean, you're going to hear plenty of Braves updates. Who are the Braves playing? You're basically have to, going to have to update the Braves every day because it is going to be uh, a two-team race. I don't consider the Phillies in the mix. I know the Marlins have great pitching. I think it's the Mets and the Braves. And, hey, 100 games to win a pennant. And I don't buy this idea that, hey, as long as the Mets get in the playoffs, it doesn't matter if they win the division. No, 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 no. First of all, you had a 10-and-a-half game lead. Second of all, there's an extra round of playoffs now. You don't want to be in a situation where – uh, you got to win a best two out of three just to get to the division round, then be on the road there. You want a one or a two seed and be in a scenario where you just have to win one series and then go play whoever else is still alive, probably the Dodgers, but you never know. So this idea that, oh, well, now as long as we're in the playoffs, it's okay. No, no, no. I, I understand, hey, playoffs is something. And with your pitching, as long as your pitching is healthy, you know, it's not the worst scenario. But uh, it's important, very important here to win the division as the odds have tightened up here at Bet Rivers. Minus 235 now for the Mets. Braves are plus 205. Hey, you'd still rather be minus 235 than plus 205. You'd still rather be up four games than minus four. I know that 10 looked a lot better than four, but four is being up four is still better than being down four. So a big pennant race ahead for the Mets. I don't think this is going to be a scenario where the Mets run and hide like the Yankees. Uh, Mets today, minus 130. Total is eight. It is McGill and it is Ashby. Uh, important game for the Mets. Important game for the Mets. I think these are all kind of important now, at least until you get DeGrom and Scherzer back. To not, you don't want DeGrom, Here's what you don't want. You don't want Scherzer to come back and DeGrom back and have it be tied or be catching up. Now, we're a long way from that, but hey, if the Braves keep winning every day, and, and they're bound to lose at some point, but if the Braves keep winning every day, you want to be in a situation where, hey, by the way, welcome back, Max. We need you to win today because we're two games out, two and a half games out of first place. So uh, important game for the Mets. I do like them tonight. I think this is a good matchup for McGill. I will lay the minus 130 with the Mets. Yankees, minus 175 as Severino is going against Beeks, who's going to be an opener. So it's going to be a bullpen game for Tampa. Tampa just doesn't have the same pitching. I mean, they're running out. Springs is a decent pitcher, but, you know, Rasmussen's hurt. These guys, it's just, it's not the same, you know, level. A few years ago, they had Glasnow. We haven't seen in years now. Glasnow, Snell, Morton. It's not that level of guy. And last year... I know McClanahan's awesome. McClanahan's excluded from this, but the rest of the guys are, you know, just sort of workmanlike guys. They just sort of piece it together. So the Rays are not a big-time team this year. 
and they don't have that dominant pitching. You know, they were a team that relied on the bullpen and defense and that kind of thing. They're just they're just not that level of team this year. They're not. So uh, Yankees minus 170. I have no problem laying the minus 170. Uh, I mentioned the other day, if you wanted to parlay the Yankees, the day Cole was pitching with the Celtics on the money line, I'd have no issue with that. I think the Celtics win tonight, as that is a game six tonight, and force a game seven. The spread minus four, total 211 here at Bet Rivers. That game seven would be Sunday, and I do think we'll be sitting here Sunday, Father's Day, with a game seven for the first time in the NBA Finals since 2016 when it was LeBron versus the Warriors in that iconic game, that iconic finish where the 73-win Warriors did not win a title. So uh, if you want to parlay the Yankees, if you don't want to lay the minus 175, you want to parlay them with the Celtics, you get plus 120 on that two-team parlay. That's not a bad way to go. I do think the Yankees win tonight. And I do think the Mets win tonight. Uh, big game for the Mets. They're all going to be big from this point forward. We're in for a pennant race, folks. The Yankees, look, uh, you, can, you can afford to lose one here. But the way they're going, can't can't see why they wouldn't win tonight. Severino's quietly been, uh, look, they, they have five aces. They have five Cy Young sort of candidates. Uh, Severino has returned to that 2017-2018 form where it looked like he was on pace to be one of the best pitchers in baseball. I mean, Remember, he was third in Cy Young as like a 22-year-old in 2017. So Yankees, I told you the other day, minus 300 to win the division was still a good bet. They are now minus 400. Hell, it's going to win. You might as well lay the minus 400. If you can afford to, to have your money tied up, uh, go to BetRivers.com. Go to the BetRivers app and lay the minus 400 here. You're okay because the Yankees are going to win this division. Uh, there is no doubt in my mind as the Blue Jays are 4-1, to one, Rays are 12-1, to one, Red Sox are 45-1. to one. If anyone would come back, it would be the Blue Jays. But like I said, the Yankees are going to run and hide and win this division. And it's going to put a lot of pressure on them. Hey, if the Yankees sit here with 107 wins to finish the season, you got to go to the World Series. You got to go to the World Series. I can almost make the case you haven't been there in 11 years. You got to win the World Series. Let's just say you got to get to the World Series because you can't win 107 games and then lose in five games in the first round of Tampa. That can't happen. That you can't do. Or lose in five games to the, to the White Sox or somebody. Uh, boy, if they ever lost the Astros again, that would be a bitter pill to swallow. You got to at least get to a World Series. You know, you're going to be sitting here with 100 plus wins. You have to get there this year. Uh, it's a great feeling right now if you're a Yankee fan. You're 30 games over. Everything is great. This does is does is going to put some pressure on you here to break through, get to October, uh, deep into October, get to a World Series. Like I said the other day, if you're losing seven to the Dodgers, some people are going to be mad. I would be mad, but you know what? Uh, you live with it. It's not like that's a big-time disappointment. The Dodgers are still the favorite here as I read the odds to win the whole thing here at Bet Rivers. It's tightened up. It's really tightened up as Dodgers are plus 400, still the short shot. Yankees are plus 500. If you lost a classic seven-gamer to the Dodgers, eh, all right. You wish you'd win it, but you can't kill them. If they lose in the first round to the White Sox in four or five games after this kind of season, winning 107, 108 games, whatever they win, that's a disaster. That's an absolute disaster. And look, it's not, it doesn't operate the same way it used to operate with Steinbrenner and, you know, the old days of George Steinbrenner. If you lost, if you won 108 games and you lost in the first round, Boone would be gone. Cashman would be gone. These guys would have been gone a long time ago anyway, but it doesn't operate like that anymore. But it's going to be a bad look if the Yankees don't punch their ticket to a fall classic this October. So, uh, fun day, fun day today. You got the NBA Finals back, Mets in action, Yankees in action as we brace for a long pennant race here. Between the Mets and the Braves, it feels like the late 90s, early 2000s. Remember, they used to have some uh, some classic battles, some classic pennant races, even met in the NLCS back in 1999. So uh, I think we're headed for 
uh, another pennant race. And we could see, see a scenario where they battle all summer, you know, nip and tuck back and forth. Remember, they still have to play each other 15 times. We could see a scenario where they have this knockdown, drag out pennant race. They turn around, one of them wins the division, one of them wins the wild card, and they play again in the division round or play again in the NLCS. It's not impossible. It's actually uh, very much on the table. So fun night tonight. I wanted to mention Judge is now even money to win the MVP. I mentioned a couple weeks ago that I think it was last week where he was three to one. Judge, barring an injury, is going to win the MVP here. He's not going to slump. He hit another home run last night up to 25. He's not going to slump badly enough. To, to fall out of it here. It'd have to take an injury and a significant injury. You know, if he has to sit a week or 10 days with a hamstring, that'll tighten things up a little bit in terms of the race. Look, if he pulls an oblique and he's out a month, yeah, he's uh, he's in rough shape to win the MVP. But he, his numbers are just on pace for such a ridiculous number. And he's got protection in the lineup with Stanton, with Rizzo. Judge at, at even money, even at even money, I would still say, is a pretty good bet here to win the MVP at Bet Rivers. The closest guys to him in the odds, Otani 5-1, to one, Trout 5-1, to one. Ramirez seven to one, Devers fifteen to one, then Guerrero twenty one to one. Alvarez at thirty to one is actually not terrible. Alvarez is having a hell of a year uh, for the Astros. National League MVP bets three to one, Goldschmidt three uh, also three to one, Machado four to one. Those are your three favorites, followed by Alonso at ten to one. As we just run down some of the awards here, Verlander three to one favorite to win the Cy Young in the American League. Alcantara three to one favorite to win the Cy Young in the National League. Julio Rodriguez, around even money to win the American League Rookie of the Year and the National League Rookie of the Year. Gore is the short shot, 2-1, to one, followed by Gorman at 4-1. to one. So those are the awards. Keep an eye on those. I mentioned Strider. Boy, as I mentioned, Strider was 10-1. to one. He just moved to 8-1. to one. So Strider, 11 strikeouts will do it. 11 strikeouts will do it. And he's been dominant, just lights out stuff. So, And let me just go back and correct something quickly before we get to Mark. Uh, with the Rays using the opener and going with the bullpen game, there's been a pitching change. And anytime you have a pitching change, obviously the line moves accordingly. So the Yankees are up to minus 240 now with the Rays going with the bullpen game instead of the traditional starter. You can still parlay that with the Celtics. So Yankees money line, parlay with the Celtics money line at Bet Rivers, and you get plus 130. I like that. I think the Yankees win. I think they finish off the sweep. And I do think we get our game seven here. Uh, in the NBA on Sunday, Celtics Warriors, which would be uh, just a lot of fun. So, uh, big night of baseball. Yankees in action, Mets in action as we heat up and, and head towards a pennant race, as well as a game six in the NBA and possibly a game seven on Sunday. So, uh, should be a, a lot of fun as the Yankees just continue to dominate the division and the Mets are in for a long, hard fought pennant race uh, against Atlanta. When we come back, Mark Feinsand, MLB.com author. That is next. This is the New York City Cast presented by Bet River Sportsbook. Baseball is here, and Bet Rivers has a special offer for you every Saturday throughout the season. Place a three leg same game parlay of at least $25, and you will earn a $10 free bet. With same game parlays, you can combine player props and game bets to make your perfect combo. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Claim your offer on the Bet Rivers app or go to betrivers.com. Must be 21 or older. Available in New York only. Void where prohibited. Gambling problem? Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. All right, we are back. New York City cast, Bet River Sportsbook. Uh, our next guest, uh, I wouldn't use the word stalking because I think that's a strong word. But as soon as I picked the book up, I couldn't put it down. And uh, we had Chris Herring on a few months ago, and he had a, a New York Times bestselling book. And sometimes you read a book and you read a few pages and you already know it's just going to be a bestseller. Uh, you feel like once you put you put it down, you're missing something. It's it's so good. And 
the book is The Franchise. The author is Mark Feinsand. He joins us now. You know him, of course, from MLB.com, MLB Network. The great Mark Feinsand joins us. Mark, what's up, man? Thanks for coming on. Congratulations on what is uh, just a tremendous book here. My pleasure. I appreciate that. And I hope uh, your bestseller words come true. <laughs> Uh, I think it will be. You really you, you strike a chord here because you cover so much ground here with the Yankees. And I think um, I'm going to start here just because I think a lot of people think the dynasty started, you know, that 95 series against the Mariners where that was the springboard. Yeah, they lose to what was just a gut wrenching series. I think it was Columbus Day weekend, had multiple leads in that game five, a big lead early leading extra innings. They lose, you know, they replace Buck and then they win it the next year. But really. You point out 1993 is kind of a forgotten year where um, that's a year where they won 92 games. They bring in Boggs, they bring in Key, and that was sort of the year where this thing started to turn around. Can you talk about that year and what that kind of meant in there uh, in, in the Yankees' development here? Yeah, you know, I mean, that was during that time when George Steinbrenner had been suspended and Gene Michael had taken over the baseball operation and decided to stick with some of the young guys. You know, Bernie Williams' name had been on the block many times uh, in different trade talks and, and stick Michael decided, no, Bernie Williams is going to be a part of this future. So keeping him, the trade for Paul O'Neill, uh, you know, that brought him into New York, uh, put a couple of the foundational pieces in importing a few veterans like Wade Boggs, like Jimmy key. It was the first time, you know, the Yankees have gone through a few really lean years there, a period that they haven't experienced all that often in this franchise's, you know, hundred plus year history. Um, and so that started the winning track again. Of course, they had the best record in the league in 94 uh, when the strike hit. So there were signs that it was coming. But of course, it wasn't until 95 with the arrival of Mariano Rivera and Andy Pettit. And then 96 with Jeter, uh, you know, 97 with Posada, that that core of that championship dynasty really sort of took hold. You mentioned Stick Michael and obviously anyone that follows the Yankees know what an integral part he was. Um I guess the question would be, you mentioned, you know what, he, he was more of an eye test guy. Is that kind of guy, is that guy weeded out of baseball now with a stick? Michael, does he have a role in today's game or is he, was he kind of, uh, you know, an outlier in terms of how the game is, is run today from, you know, the front office? Well, there's still definitely a place for a guy like stick Michael. Um, it's it maybe not as prevalent as it was uh, 10, 15, 20, 30 years ago. Um, but the best teams out there right now, the best front offices are the ones that utilize scouting, the eye test, that kind of thing, and analytics. You know, there are certain things uh, that you can have all the numbers in the world, but the numbers aren't going to be able to get to know the kid and the makeup and how uh, he handles pressure and what the family's like and his upbringing and things like that. So, um, you know, scouting is certainly still a huge part of the operation now, uh, but certainly a guy like Stick was, you know, a talent evaluator for decades and the experience that he had in seeing young players and seeing professional players and, and figuring out, okay, this guy's underachieving here, but I can unlock something in him. Uh, and he was really one of the first guys who, who really stressed on base percentage and, uh, you know, over batting average. And, you know, he loved those patient hitters that worked the count and really made the opposing pitcher grind through a start. So if you look back at, at Stick's career, he had some of the analytic approach in his game uh, as an evaluator, but obviously, you know, his eye test and his ability to, 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 you know, spot talent was up there with anybody of his era. You know, it's funny. You read about these teams and it reminds me, there's so many comparisons between them and the Patriots. Uh, 
Michael Lombardi, who comes on this show. He wrote a book. He's a friend of the show. And you know, he worked for the Patriots for a little while. And you think about it, Chris Long, who's, who's Howie's son, he won a championship with the Patriots. He played a year there. He said, you know what? The reason the Patriots win, one of the reasons, obviously Tom Brady's great, but people don't realize the Patriots roster, guys 45 through 53, our worst eight players are better, are better than everyone else's worst eight players. And there's a depth uh, to, to the teams that's just unmatched. And I think about that with these Yankees teams, whether it was David Weathers coming in, getting big outs, Graham Lloyd, Chad Curtis hitting big home runs, you know, Luis Soho. Uh, and that I think, you know, points back to stick Michael where they really won on the margins. Yeah. They had some hall of famers, but this Yankee team really beat you with depth. A lot of those years, you know, that's the case today. When we look at this incredible yeah. start, the Yankees are off to in 2022. Clay Holmes was a guy on the margins and he's been the best reliever in baseball this year. Uh, you know, Matt Carpenter was on the scrap heap. The Yankees picked him up, thought there was a role for him, and he's thrived since getting to New York. So, yeah, I think when you look at these teams that they've had, uh, you know, picking up Daryl Strawberry late in his career or Chili Davis or, uh, you know, a guy like Homer Bush really brought some value to those rosters. Uh, Brian Cashman, Bob Watson, Gene Michael, these guys did a great job of working on the margins and not just using those. Uh, you know, last five or six spots on a roster of sort of throwaway spots. They had everybody there, had a role, they had a reason to be there. Uh, and then Joe Torre uh, certainly knew how to utilize them. Similar to the Patriots, when you're competing for championships and you're deep in the playoffs this many times in the World Series, around the World Series, you're going to win some championships. And you think of the Yankees, late 90s, early 2000s, think of championships. But similar to the Patriots, they had a lot of heartbreaking losses. And I think reading this book, it sort of evokes those memories where you, you kind of, not that you don't remember it, but boy, uh, 95, which we mentioned, the Mariners series, just a heartbreaking series. Even 97 with Sandy Alomar. 04, they blow a 3-0 lead. 2001, they're three outs away from a four-peat. Uh, 03 is kind of an underrated one because they never should have lost to that Marlins team. That Marlins team, they were not as good as the Yankees. So, you know, it's funny. You think about the championships, but boy, there were a lot of just gut punch uh, losses here for the Yankees in that time. A hundred percent. And we've got a chapter in the book on the game winners, you know, Bucky Dent, Chris Chambliss, Aaron Boone, Jim Leritz, those types. We could have done a whole other chapter on the bad beats because 2001, uh, that World Series, that was the first year I covered the Yankees. And I, I've never seen anything like that as a fan or, uh, you know, as a, as a reporter. You think about that series. Arizona outplayed the Yankees probably in six of those seven games, right? Their closer was on the mound with the lead in games four and five. Game one and two, they blitzed him. Game six, they blitzed him. Game three, Clemens pitched a great game. And that was the one game where the Yankees sort of start to finish deserved to win that game. Game seven, you know. Kurt Schilling, Randy Johnson were incredible. The Yankees somehow take a lead on that Soriano home run in the eighth. They say, all right, six outs left. Here you go, Mo. And, uh, and Rivera makes a very uncharacteristic error, gives up a couple of hits, the big bloop to Luis Gonzalez, and all of a sudden the Yankees are going home as losers of a postseason series for the first time since 97. They have had some just brutal losses, but obviously they've had some great uh, victories as well. That, uh, you know, that era from 95, uh, really through 04, uh, when you think about ending with that, that ALCS loss to the Red Sox after taking the 3-0 lead, uh, there were some incredible highs and lows throughout that period. Yeah, and the 07, that, boy, that game seven, I'm sorry, the 01 game seven was just such an iconic game, such a classic series, everything that happened with 9-11. And, boy, you mentioned the two runs they, they got on the Soriano homer. That ball was basically off his shoe tops. How he hit that ball out, you never know. You never even, you know, you look that back. Soriano, just, he loved those. He, oh, yeah. He the closest thing to Vlad Guerrero that I've seen in terms of being able to just take a bad pitch and drive it really hard somewhere. 
yeah, it's a great comparison. Um, was that the best World Series you've ever seen? The Yankees and the Diamondbacks, just because the Game Seven. I mean, think about it. Game Seven. It's it's Schilling. It's Clemens. It's Randy Johnson. It's there's just so many uh, Hall of Fame all time players. I, I'm that's the 2011 World Series with the Rangers and the Cardinals is great just because of the Game Six. But boy, that 01 of all the World Series I've ever watched, the 01 is one where it's such like uh, so many classic moments and, and so many great players. Game Six and Game Seven in that yeah. 2011 World Series were incredible. I covered that one for the Daily News and. That was one of those where your jaw just kept dropping because you just couldn't believe what you were watching. The 2001 series, like I said, games one and two, not particularly good games. Game six, not a particularly good game. So you've got three games that were kind of clunkers. Game three, Clemens pitches a really good game, but the most uh, memorable moment of that game, of course, was George W. Bush throwing that first pitch, uh, you know, just in, in the aftermath of 9-11. And, uh, you know, the country wasn't nearly as political uh, politically divided as it was as it is now. The entire country, the entire ballpark, the entire baseball world was focused in on that moment with the president, and it gave you goosebumps. It couldn't not. Uh, and then, of course, the, the home runs in games four and five, uh, you know, the ninth inning, two out home runs with, uh, you know, Tino Martinez and Scott Brocious, and the game seven. Michael Kay told me, and I believe it's in the book, he said, when you have a series, if you have one forever game, that's great. If you have two, it's a legendary series. This series had three. I don't know that I've ever seen a, a series that has this type, you know, three memorable endings like we saw in that series. When you talk to people that were there for pretty much the whole run and all these wins, all these losses, is there one loss that really sticks with them more than the others? It's hard because 04 was historic. You know, anytime a team takes a 3-0 lead in any sport, you hear about the, you know, the 04 Yankees, the 04 Red Sox. I would say 01 just because you're three outs away from a four-peat. Uh, again, you know, 03 was one where you probably shouldn't have lost. Is there one that hurts more than the others, or is it hard to rank the pain, so to speak? I think it's 04 because it was against the Red Sox. You know, the Yankees had had the one-sided rivalry for all those years. They had broken their hearts with Aaron Boone the year before. Uh, I think the common uh, thought process going in was whichever team came out of that ALCS was going to beat the Cardinals. And I think the Yankees would have beaten the Cardinals in the world series if they had gotten there. Um, but to, to blow that three Oh lead that historic uh, series was, was as bad as it gets. And, you know, at that point, you know, Clemens and Pettit were gone. So you didn't have quite the same group. That was Kevin Brown, Javier Vasquez group. Um, and it just felt like that was the end of an era for the teams that had won those championships uh, with Tory again, I'll go back to Michael Kay. He said for years, the Yankee Red Sox rivalry, the Yankees were the hammer and the Red Sox were the nail. When that series ended the way it did, all of a sudden the Red Sox were the hammer. And if you look at the aftermath of it, uh, you know, the Red Sox win in 04, they win in 07, they win in 13, they win in 18. The Yankees have won once in that period. So it really shifted the rivalry the other way. The other thing about 01, um, being that it was in the aftermath of 9 11. I think everybody in New York, everybody in the Yankees, everybody who had been through everything that had gone on in New York, you know, a month and a half earlier, there was a little more perspective about life at that point. It wasn't, you know, you sort of thought to yourself, baseball is important because it's what we do. And in my case, it's what we cover, but there are much bigger things out there. So I think there was a little bit of, um, you know, America had pulled behind the Yankees for the first time ever. They were basically America's team, uh, which was a very rare thing for them. So I think there was a little more context of, of the big picture in 01 uh, about the world and life. 04, it was just that big gut punch from the Red Sox. Yeah, in 2004, it's interesting. They're three outs away from a sweep. They had a lead in game five as well. 
And I think there's some great life lessons in 2004 because sometimes when things look the bleakest, if you remember that Saturday night game three, the Yankees won 19 to eight in the feeling in Boston, the feeling nationally, they're just never going to win. This was a really good team. They went out, they traded for Schilling. Uh, they, that was a great Red Sox team. They had Pedro. He wasn't in his prime, but he's still really good. And it was like, you know what? They just had gotten buried. Mendoza was actually the losing pitcher. I went back and, and looked. The feeling after that game was, look, we're, they're never going to win. The Yankees are just going to beat them forever. And, and that's when it turns around. So it's just funny how that works. And, you know, sometimes at the lowest point is when things get turned around. Yeah, I remember walking out of Fenway Park after the 1988 game. And I went back to my hotel and I started looking at flights for the World Series because, they were up 3-0. They had just massacred them in game three. And you just couldn't envision a scenario where they were going to lose four in a row. That 0-4 Yankee team was very good. There was some change there with the pitching that I talked about, but they were still a really good team. And they had just manhandled the Red Sox in the, in the first part of that series. And, you know, the idea that, that they were going to lose four straight was just completely beyond anything you could imagine. Um, and then after game four, it was like, all right, well, you didn't think the Red Sox were going to go down without, without a fight. Game five, they win another late game, and you're sort of saying, all right, well, the Yankees still have two home games left. They're not going to lose them both. But then you look at the pitching matchups, and you right had Schilling going in game six, right? You didn't know what the deal with his ankle was. Obviously, the bloody sock game is legendary. Um, and then game seven, they throw Derek Lowe out there on two days rest, and you're like, all right, this has gone bad for them. But all the pressure had now shifted to the Yankees. So, yeah, that that series was, was like nothing I've ever seen before. And uh, that that's one that you know, unfortunately for the Yankees from now on, like you said, every time a team takes a 3-0 lead, they put up that graphic. There's only one team on the graphic. Uh, before we get to some of the wins here, why did you mention it in the book? 2001, they lose to the Diamondbacks and Steinbrenner just kind of snaps. They had been going through this uh, different philosophy really since the early 90s where, hey, we're going to marinate our talent. We're not going to overpay. We're not going to get lured by these free agents. And, and the 0-1 loss sort of just pushed George over an edge where it's like, all right, now we're going to do things my way, I think was similar to the line he said to Cashman. Why did that happen that way? Was that kind of a turning point in terms of how they did business the next, you know, five or six years? Well, you can only keep the tiger in the cage for so long, yeah. I guess. Uh, they had actually started that. I mean, look, throughout the dynasty under Joe Torre, they had imported some pretty big names. They yeah. brought in Roger Clemens. That was not exactly a, a nothing move. A one before the season, they had signed Mike Mussina, but it seemed like they were trying to make the moves that they felt were going to put them in the best position to win. After 01, you know, they had, they had scored, I think, 14 runs in the World Series. Hitting coach gets fired, and Steinbrenner says, all right, we need more offense. Looks at the free agent market, and there's big hulking Jason Giambi, uh, you know, with that big left-handed swing, ready to go. Uh, and they threw $120 million at him, got him in New York. The next year, they bring in Hideki Matsui. The year after that, they bring in Gary Sheffield. Uh, and Kevin Brown, the year after that, Randy Johnson shows up. So uh, it seemed like they they reverted back to some of that 80s yeah. mentality of the big proven veteran star. Every guy I mentioned, except for Matsui there, was probably in his 30s, right? Giambi was probably right about 29, 30. Yeah, even like the Kenny Lofton types, those type of guys. Yep, you know, so it was always trying to find what once the the whole team of you know, the O'Neills, Tinos, Brocious, Knobloch, uh, El Duque, guys like that were sort of on their way out. Then it was bringing in, you know, they didn't have that core in the minor leagues. 05, they bring up Robbie Cano and Chin Ming Wong, who were both incredible for them you know, for several years. Um, but they didn't have the big position players other than Cano to bring up from the minors. So they had to go out and bring in guys like Giambi, like uh, Sheffield and Matsui. And Matsui, you couldn't have asked for, for more from that guy. 
than he did during his seven years with the Yankees. But I, I think overall, George went back to, uh, you know, okay, I've gotten used to winning again. And now I'm going to go do whatever I think it's going to take to win again. We're talking with Mark Feinstein. The book is the franchise. It's a great Father's Day present. Look, if you're a Yankee fan, you'll love it. But if you're just a baseball fan, you don't have to be a Yankee fan. If you're a baseball fan, it's uh, it, it's so good. Like I said, once you start reading it, you won't be able to put it down. So uh, go out and buy it. Again, you will not be disappointed once you start reading it. It's just uh, it, it's an incredible book. Uh, on a, a more positive note, 96, I think if you talk to any Yankee fan, their favorite championship is probably the 96 one just because – there's never nothing like the first time. I think for a lot of fans, that was their first championship experience as a fan. That um, was unexpected. It was that group's first run. And remember, they got down 2-0 at home to Atlanta, an Atlanta team that was really good. Uh, when you talk to people, is that is that a similar uh, refrain? Is that a similar experience where everyone enjoyed that 96-1 even more than the ones that followed? Yeah, especially in hindsight, knowing what it was the beginning of, that four championships in five years, that dynasty. Uh, they can go back to 96. and. The Yankees weren't the favorites. They didn't have the biggest payroll in the sport. All the things that people like to crush them for in the last 20 years wasn't the case in 96. And, and I agree with you. I was uh, just out of college at that point. I was about four months out of college, I think. And uh, I grew up a Yankee fan. My dad grew up two blocks from Yankee Stadium. And for me, they hadn't won the World Series since I was just under four years old. So really, that was the first World Series I had seen as a fan, as a, as a sort of knowledgeable, conscious fan. Uh, and it was amazing. The city was buzzing. Uh, we were out at a sports bar on the Upper East Side watching game six, uh, and they won that series, and the city was just mayhem that night. And I think when you look back at, at sort of the beginning of that dynasty, Gita Rivera, Pettit, et cetera, um, it was a very special team. And to come back from 2-0, of course, in the Jeffrey Mayer game, uh, which is one of the more memorable games that that happened during that dynasty. So, yeah, a lot of really fun, special moments. And, and that was really the time to me that Yankee Stadium sort of became the place to be in New York sports. You think about the years before that, the Garden was the place to be. Yeah. The Rangers and Knicks in 94, the Knicks obviously uh, throughout the Ewing are were the hottest ticket in town. And all of a sudden after 96, Yankee Stadium became the place where you start spotting celebrities sitting behind the plate. Yeah, everyone talks about, you know, people that have been to a million games. They, the Girardi triple in game six is the loudest the building's ever been. The building was actually shaking uh, if you were in it. And that was a weird series just because I remember it was supposed to start Saturday night. World Series used to start on a Saturday night, at least forever. Yeah. Saturday night got rained out. Sunday night uh, is game one. Andrew Jones was like 19 years old. It's a million homers. They get buried game one. I think it was Maddox throws a, a gem game two. All of a sudden, they're down two games to none, heading to Atlanta. No rest, no day off in between. The only day off in between was the Friday between game five and game six when it switched venues as the Yankees won all three in Atlanta, remarkably enough. Do you remember just talking to people, uh, you know, do, do they remember what that mood was like down 2-0 to Atlanta? I remember Tori uh, famously said to George, don't worry, we got this, something along those lines. Uh, did, did people kind of remember, you know, what those hours were like before game three as they're down 2 nothing? Yeah, well, before game two, George Steinbrenner came down to Tory's office and said, this is a must win. You got to win this game. And, and Joe said, don't worry, George, even if we lose this game, we're going to go down to Atlanta, win all three and we'll come back here and win it at the stadium. Uh, and, and Steinbrenner said, well, you better, you know, this, this is uh, this is Joe's first year. Managers didn't always last more than a year under George Steinbrenner back in those days. So there was a confidence. And I think a lot of that goes to Tory. I know the players uh, you look at the players on that team, they were all very, cool and calm and collected and seemed to handle pressure but this was the first year 
that that group was together. They had not accomplished anything other than getting to the playoffs the prior season. Uh, and some of those guys weren't even part of that team. But Tory displayed this calm and had this effect over the clubhouse of, we got this. Everything's okay. We are good. And whatever happens tonight, we're going to be okay. I think that really rubbed off on a lot of guys there. And when they went down 2-0, they weren't afraid. They, they knew they were a good team. And it was sort of that, you know, that old cliche, take it one day at a time. But they really had to do that. You heard the same thing in 04 from the Red Sox of, you know, all right, we're down 3-0. We just got to win this game. Get to the next game. And then you worry about that game. So, uh, you know, 96, they certainly took that mentality. You know, Layritz with the, the monstrous home run in game four uh, to tie it up against Wollers whole chapter in this book about Jimmy Layritz and all of his heroics. Uh, and then game five, Andy Pettit goes out and pitches the game of his life. So uh, yeah, it was the, the Girardi. I remember watching the Girardi triple on TV and thinking that was as loud as I'd heard a stadium. I want to know, I want one of those, one of those uh, measuring tools. David Justice. See. I'm going to say Aaron Boone. That's the loudest okay. I've ever heard the stadium. I was sitting in the press box and the stadium was shaking. I actually was worried that the press box was just going to collapse out right from underneath us. Uh, it was it was pretty intense, but um, you know the Girardi triple is right up there. Yeah, it's uh, w- would Buck have been back if they beat the Mariners in that series? Why did that go the way it did? What, what, you know, if they got to an, an ALCS against, I think it was the Indians, it had to have been. Uh, you know, what happened with Buck leaving and Tori eventually coming in, and why that happened? Yeah, I mean, my feeling is that if they had won that series, he probably would have been back. Uh, George just thought there was a better guy out there. That wasn't Joe Torre initially. Joe Torre was actually offered the GM job uh, in that offseason first. They ultimately, he turned it down. They ultimately hired Bob Watson. They tried to hire Tony La Russa. He went to the Cardinals. They tried to hire Davey Johnson. He went to the Orioles. Uh, they had gotten some recommendations for Joe Torre, and they hired Torre. Now, after they hired Torre, Steinbrenner had second thoughts about Buck and talked to him about coming back and getting rid of Tory before he ever even managed the game. So a lot of sliding doors things to think about uh, with that scenario. If Joe had taken the GM job, who knows, Brian Cashman maybe never even becomes the GM. Uh, maybe Buck ends up back as the manager. Who knows if they win that year? So uh, a lot of what ifs, but I would say that the way, it, the way it turned out, turned out pretty well for them. Has it crossed your mind that things could come full circle here for Buck and to make his first World Series ever and to do it against the Yankees. I mean, it's not impossible. Both teams have the best record. Now, look, with all these extra rounds and uh, the Mets are no lock to win a division the way Atlanta's been playing lately. But has it crossed your mind? I mean, it'd be kind of cool here if Buck finally got to a World Series. I think everyone likes Buck. Everyone's rooting for Buck. If he finally got to a World Series and, and looking across the dugout, was his, uh, was his former team here in the Yankees? That would be quite a story for sure. Uh, you know, the Mets are playing great. The Yankees are playing great. The Mets have been doing what they're doing with Scherzer out for the past month and DeGrom hasn't thrown a pitch this season. If they get those two guys back healthy, uh, you know, down the stretch, they're going to be tough. The biggest difference of a subway series this year versus 2000, I think the Mets might actually be favored because if Scherzer and DeGrom are healthy, that's an unbelievable one-two punch to be able to throw four, maybe even five times in a seven game series. That 2000 team, the Mets were a nice story. Nobody thought they were going to beat the Yankees. A lot of people thought it was going to be a sweep. They had the, uh, the gentleman sweep, as it were, with the five-game series. But, um, you know, this year the Mets would be, would be right there with the Yankees. These two teams have been great, and uh, it would certainly make for a very fun fall in New York. 
Yeah. And as you documented, the Yankees hated that Mets series. There was so much pressure from George. Willie Randolph said, look, I need like six pina coladas after the series. <laughs> Everyone was just under so much pressure because the Mets were the little brother Yankees. It was, it was almost, it was a no win for the Yankees. If you win, it was just what you're supposed to do. And if you lose, it would have been a disaster. Uh, I agree. And, and, you know, they were coming off of two titles at that point. They were going for the three-peat. They were coming off of a September. I think they lost 15 of their last 18 games going into the playoffs. So right. a lot of people were like, well, they can't really lose this, can they? But, you know, they, they recovered. They had a good couple of first rounds. Uh, Dave Justice against Seattle. And then, you know, you, you think about that World Series. Like you said, all the pressure was on the Yankees. The Mets just went in there at house money at that point. And, uh, you know, if Paul O'Neill doesn't work that, that walk against Armando Benitez in game one, that could have been a drastically different series. Um, the Yankees ended up obviously winning game one and going on to the five-game victory. But, uh, yeah, Torrey, Cashman, they all hated that series. It was Steinbrenner was relentless in his pressure to win that series. And if they had lost, uh, even coming off of, you know, 96, 98, 99 championships, get into the World Series in 2000, heads may have rolled if they had lost that series. Just a couple quick ones before you get you out of here. Uh, the, the Yankee way of doing business, the old George Steinbrenner way, is, is that just kind of gone forever where they're just, it's win it all, it's win it all costs. We don't care about the luxury tax. Is that kind of gone? Is that uh, a thing of the past? Well, there really wasn't such a luxury tax under George Steinbrenner. I mean, him and Hal are playing different games in terms of running a team. Uh, there are a lot of things in place now that Hal Steinbrenner has to deal with that his father never did. The other major difference and the reason why I think those days are gone Plenty of other teams have just as much money as George Steinbrenner, yeah. as the Yankees and Hal Steinbrenner do. So they can't just go out there and use their financial might to overwhelm everybody else to get every free agent, right? The biggest contracts in the game, as big as Garrett Cole's contract is, Mookie Betts got more from the Dodgers. Mike Trout got more from the Angels. Uh, you know, there are other huge contracts out there. The San Diego Padres have signed two $300 million contracts. San Diego. So I just don't think that the way the baseball financial landscape is now the Yankees don't have that financial hammer that everybody that they had over everybody else back then. So you have to be a little smarter. It's not just about writing blank checks. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think those days are gone, but you know, the Yankees are still spending 230 plus million dollars. So it's not like they're, uh, you know, being shy about spending money. Uh, you mentioned DeGrom and Scherzer. Is there optimism? You talk to people you know, around the league. Is there optimism? These guys will come back, be healthy, be, you know, no setbacks. I think probably more optimism around Scherzer just because he's pitched. DeGrom, it's been a calendar year since he's pitched. Do you get the feeling that these guys are going to be back back healthy, or is it like, hey, it's arm injuries, you never know? No, I think the, uh, the consensus is that they'll both be back sometime, you know, all-star break or later, but they don't need them to get to the playoffs. They need them to be healthy and, and vintage form in October. So they'll take it slow with them if they have to. Uh, DeGrom's already throwing bullpens. He looks like he's, he's working his way back. Uh, Scherzer, there's no expectation that he's not going to be back whenever that, right. that time frame is up. So, yeah, I think the, the expectation is they will be back. And if they can be uh, their vintage selves, you know, September, October, they're going to be a really, really hard out. Well, Mark, this was fun. I hope you sell a lot of books. I could talk to you literally for hours about these games. It's just, it, it evokes a lot of memories. It's just, it was such a great time. And uh, the book is outstanding. Why don't you let everyone know uh, where they can find it? You can get it at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, their website, any, any, any place books are sold, you can find it. Uh, and I've uh, gotten some really good response so far. And I uh, hope people enjoy it. It's, uh, you know, it's a very, very uh, sort of strenuous process to write a book. But when it actually comes out and you actually get to hold it in your hand, it's, uh, it's exciting. And hearing people talk about how much they're enjoying it certainly makes it worthwhile.
Yeah. If you're a Yankee fan, you just, you have to have it. It's that simple. Mark, appreciate you coming on. This was a lot of fun. Uh, good luck selling the book. Uh, hopefully we'll catch up here down the road. Thanks. I appreciate it. All right. That'll do it. Thank you guys for listening. Thank you to Mark Feinsand. Uh, enjoy that conversation. Again, his book is the franchise. You will love it. If you're a Yankee fan, if you're a baseball fan, so appreciate him coming on. Enjoy the weekend. Happy father's day. We'll get a game six in the NBA finals tonight. Maybe we get a game seven on Sunday. A lot of baseball, some NBA cup finals. I'll be back on Monday. We'll have some great guests next week. So don't forget to download, rate, review, subscribe, retweet. Any sort of help promoting the show is greatly appreciated. Thanks again. See you Monday. This is the New York City Cast presented by Bet River Sportsbook.